First Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin looking at just two verses tonight, verses 12 and 13. So First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. In the summer of 64 A.D., Rome was destroyed by a fire. I think, Lynn, we have a, a video a picture up on the screen there. The fire raged out of control for six days and seven nights. In fact, some historians uh, say it burned for nine days. Uh, the deadly fire consumed more than three-quarters of the city. Hundreds of people died and thousands were left homeless. The Roman people believed the emperor Nero was responsible for the devastation. He was an extremely evil man. For those of you that know anything about him, he was the most diabolical of Rome's 12 Caesars. Tacitus, the Roman historian, says that Nero watched in delight as the city burned to the ground. In fact, it's said that he was charmed by the loveliness of the flames. You can see it there. Many of you are familiar with the, uh, the quote, Rome burned while Nero fiddled. That, that quote was coined during this fire. Uh, people who put the fires out or tried to put them out were hindered by Nero's soldiers and new fires were started. The people were absolutely devastated and lost everything. Their resentment and their anger was great. Apparently, Nero had an obsession for building. Uh, it was reported that he didn't like the aesthetics of the city and wanted to build a new one. And he wanted a new palace, but the area where he wanted the prime real estate had other buildings on it, and so uh, people suspected he started the fires to be able to have access to that prime real estate, and he started building a palace as soon as the ashes cooled. The people were not happy, so in order to deflect attention from himself, Nero needed a scapegoat. And what better people to blame than the sect of people who were having a growing influence on Rome, the Christians. So in an effort to divert attention from himself, Nero publicly blamed the Christians for the fires. People actually fell for this deception, and as a result, extreme, and I mean extreme, persecution broke out among the Christians. He arrested, tortured, executed hundreds of the Christians on the pretext that they had something to do with the fire. John MacArthur says, Christians were imprisoned, racked, seared, broiled, burned, scourged, stoned, and hanged. Some were lacerated with hot knives and others thrown on the horns of wild bulls. Tacitus, many of you are familiar with this, Tacitus reported that Nero rolled Christians in pitch or doused them with oil and then set fire to them while they were still alive. He used them as living candles to light his garden parties. Many historians reported he covered Christians with the skins of wild animals and then released his hunting dogs to chase them down and maul them to death. He nailed Christians to crosses and cruelly tortured them. Uh, according to uh, ancient tradition, Peter, the writer of this letter, and Paul both died during this Roman persecution of the Christians. 
Peter, as you know, was crucified upside down because he, he didn't want to be crucified the same way his, his Lord was. Uh, Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, had the privilege of being beheaded rather than crucified. But both men were reported to have died during this persecution. So why do I tell you this? Because the context of the passage we're going to read tonight was in, it was set in the middle of this extreme persecution. It was a persecution of Christians that would last 200 years. See, we don't understand persecution. We're, we're sitting here tonight without any fear of persecution. This was the persecution that would eventually cost Peter his life. So as we look at 1 Peter 4.12 and read the words that Peter wrote, we have a deeper understanding of why he wrote these words and the emotion that, that with which he penned them. If you ask me for a theme of 1 Peter, I would tell you that it focuses on strengthening believers to bear up under unjust suffering while continuing to live well. As I studied this week, I was reflecting on the church and on persecution, wondering what the church today would look like if we had to, to stand up under that type of persecution, the type that Peter and his fellow believers had to endure. I wonder how we would respond if we had the threat of being coated with pitch and lit on fire because of what we believed. I wonder what, 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 what would happen to us if, if we lived under the threat of being boiled alive because of our faith. Quite frankly, most of us get bent out of shape and question God's love for us if someone looks at us wrong or says something nasty to us or about us. But what if we were being threatened with being made a human candle because of what we believe? This week I was reading about the church in China, and it's being referred to as the pure church. And, and, and that term, I never really understood that reference, and, but, but I got it this week because it's a, it's a pure church because of the persecution that it's had to endure. They have had to endure intense persecution in China, and as a result, the, the mediocre, lukewarm Christians uh, walked away from the church. And all that was left was, were the ones that were devoted to Christ and willing to give up their life for him. Uh, they weren't Christians in word only or by name only. They were the real deal, the ones that remained. They are the pure church. I want to talk to you tonight about learning to bear up under unjust suffering and what that looks like for us as a church. Uh, but would you just pray with me before we begin? Father God, I thank you for your word. I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that you left it behind for us, that, that you are the living word. And Father, we ask that tonight as we read your, your written word, that your, your presence would so manifest here as the living word, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us into all truth, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. I pray that you'd set our hearts ablaze, Lord God, that your word would be in our bones like a fire, Father that you would speak in a way that we can hear you, that you'd prepare our hearts to receive, Lord God. I come against every hindrance, 
anything, Lord, that would hinder the reception of your word tonight, every distraction, Lord, we nullify in the name of Jesus, and, and we release such a spirit of clarity and revelation over each man and woman in this place. Lord God, have your way in this place, and, and give us an understanding and insight into your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, starts with the word beloved. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Beloved. <laughs> I love it. As, as we look into this passage, I want you to keep in the forefront of your mind what I just described to you about the persecution that these people who Peter was writing to would have had to, to be enduring uh, because of Nero and his persecution. It was not a simple suffering. It was intense and ongoing. And it is in the midst of that environment that Peter writes these words, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Beloved, he calls them. It means beloved, dear, very much love. It's an interesting word. It's used only of Christians as united under covenant with God and with each other in love. One commentator says beloved is a term of endearment and a reference to someone that you love and someone you're deeply devoted to. In the context of New, New Testament agape, uh, this, th th this word speaks of God's divine and infinite love. Hear this, a love that seeks the ultimate spiritual welfare of the one it loves. I, I believe Peter is reminding them that they are beloved of God, uh, the God who loves them with an unfailing, perfect, unconditional love, a love that always has their ultimate spiritual welfare in mind. One commentator wrote, Peter uses beloved as a descriptive title, reminding his readers who were going through much suffering because of persecution that they were not to trust their feelings, but to remember that they were loved with all the love in the heart of God. The commentator writes, what a sweet pillow upon which to rest our weary, tired, tested, tempted hearts, just to know that our Father loves us. It helps one to endure the heartaches and the pains of life. It's like Joe and the team saying tonight, he's a good, good father. His goodness runs after us, that, that everything about him is good and full of love for us. I, I want to remind you, lest you forget that al although you might be suffering tonight, that you might be in the midst of a trial tonight, that fact does not mean that you are not beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. Dearly loved by him. The usual response to hard times and trials in a Christian's life is to, to question God's goodness, to fault him with not caring or, or about uh, with being asleep on the job or not loving you. In fact, the message uh, says this. Now remember, the message is just a paraphrase, but, but it's an interesting paraphrase with this verse. It says, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that, that God isn't on the job. Isn't that what we do? When life gets hard, when things get difficult, the first thing we usually do is question God's love for us or we fault him with not being on the job, not caring for us. 
Some of us have a, di a, a distorted view of suffering. We think, I'm hurting right now, and God has the power to stop it, but isn't. Therefore, he must not love me. That's just not true. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, not maybe. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. These are Jesus' words there in red. If he says we will have trouble, take good notes tonight because you're going to need them. We're, we're going to have trouble. None of us is, is, is um, what's the word I'm looking for? Is what? Exempt, Exempt from it. There, there. So in this world, we will have trouble. We have to change our mindset when it comes to trouble. Peter is saying we shouldn't be surprised when it comes. It's being sent to test us, to prove us genuine. But instead, what happens to us is life is going peachy keen, honky-dory, and everything is great. And then all of a sudden, a trial comes out of nowhere, because they usually do, or, or, a, or, or a difficult time arises in our life, and we begin... To, to question God and his goodness. Peter is saying, no, 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 no. Don't be surprised when they come. Don't be shocked. Don't be thrown off guard because they're going to come. He said, beloved, don't think it's strange. I, I like the NASB here. It says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. That word surprise is fascinating to me. I, I love it. It means to don't miss this. If you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. He says, don't be surprised. That word surprise means to receive as a guest, to entertain hosp hosp uh, hospitably, to, to, to be received hospitably, to stay as a guest or lodge. I, I love that. Uh, I, the word surprise, do you get this? In the Greek means to receive as a guest to welcome hospitably as a guest. I was looking, Karen and Dave Vogel normally sit here and they're not here tonight, and, and I wanted to use them because as I was thinking about this definition this week, I, the picture of Karen and Dave Vogel flashed through my mind. And for those of you that don't know them, they are the most welcoming, loving couple I have ever known, and they welcome people into their home all the time. In fact, if we need some place for somebody to stay, we call the Vogels. If someone needs a meal or a place to spend the holidays, we call the Vogels. Uh, someone heard me speak in Iowa recently, and they decided that they wanted to come and, and visit here on Monday night for Bible study and then come to Grace Church. And guess who we called to, to provide them lodging? The Vogels. Uh, and uh, they have this generous gift of hospitality. Their door is always open. In fact, I believe that if I dropped in unannounced, uh, uh, if I just didn't call them and I just was driving by and I decided to go to their house and I dropped in unannounced, they would show up at the door, faces just beaming with love and warmly welcome me and lovingly greet me. They would not be irritated. They, they would not be put off by my visit. They wouldn't be resentful that I was taking up their time. They would warmly welcome me. That's the picture that Peter's drawing here. He says, when trials, when tribulations, when difficult times come in your life, welcome them as a guest because God is sending them for a purpose. He's sending them in your life for a reason. Welcome them. Put out the welcome mat and welcome them. He's saying, get the gift of hospitality when it comes to trials. Stop resenting them and instead welcome them as uninvited guests. You say, well, Rhea, suffering is painful. Trials are painful. 
but it, it, but Peter's saying, don't be surprised by it. Don't think it's strange. And instead, welcome it. You say, well, Rhea, that's, that's pretty strange that you're telling me to do that. It's interesting, the tense that Peter uses here. It's a command. It's in the present imperative. Uh, those of you that, that come to Friday morning will know that the present imperative is a call to long-term commitment and calls for the attitude or action to be one as a continual way of life. He's saying the, the trials are going to come and they're going to keep coming. And make sure that this is your continual way of life. To, to welcome them. And it's a command. Not when you feel like it, you do it all the time. I'm commanding you to welcome them as guests. But it's interesting that Peter combines this with a negative. I know I'm losing you here, but try to stay with me. So when a present imperative is combined with a negative, it means to stop an action already in, process, in progress. To cease an action already in progress. Stop Stop it. Stop being surprised. Stop being shocked. Stop resisting and resenting trials and tribulations in your life. Stop it. And start welcoming them as an uninvited guest that's shown up for a purpose. The implication is that these people were absolutely surprised by the fiery ordeals they were facing, and Peter's saying, stop doing this. Remember, any command that God gives, and this is a command, always comes with this power, his power, to carry them out. And so Peter was saying, I want you to be ready for this. Rome is burning, persecution is break, breaking out, and I am telling you to prepare yourself for this. Mentally prepare yourself. I want you to have a mental readiness for trials. If you're waiting, if you're not in a trial right now, Take good notes tonight because Peter is saying we must ahead of time have a mental readiness for trials and tribulations that when they show up at our door of life, we open the door and greet them like the Vogels would greet them. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome into my life. Come on in and make yourself at home because God sent you. 1 Peter 1.13, just a few chapters back, Peter charges his readers to prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. So many of us, myself included, need to learn to prepare our minds for, to take action against trials and suffering. We, we don't have a mental readiness for it, and instead we think it's strange when it comes. We, we respond to it in a negative way instead of responding to it like Scripture tells us. I, I really believe, if truth be known, that most of us, somewhere when I was growing up, God has a good plan and you're a part of it. You remember that? I'm really dating myself, but that's what they used to tell us. And so we bought into the, to the lie that if we came to Jesus and, and, and gave our life to him, that everything was going to be peachy keen, honky-dory, and, and life was going to be good and there wasn't going to be any issues. And I'm telling you, when I came to Christ, the exact opposite broke out. I was talking to Mari tonight and I said, oh, hell broke loose. And, and everything that could come at me came at me. And we have got to have a, we've got to have a mental readiness. We've got to prepare our minds for action, like Peter said, and not be surprised when it comes. Peter is exhorting us to have a clear understanding of suffering. Look at verse 19. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as their faithful creator. 
Look closely at that. Let those who suffer, if you underline in your Bible, this is a good one to underline, according to the will of God. You're reading it right. Peter is telling us that sometimes it can be God's will for us to suffer. That messes with some of your theology and some of your God loves me so much and I'm his favorite theology. He does love you so much and you are his favorite, but sometimes we suffer according to the will of God. Paul warned us in Timothy about it in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be, not might be, will be persecuted. Notice this is a suffering according to the will of God. Now, I believe there is a suffering that we bring on ourselves as well that come through disobedience and through uh, sin, but, but this is suffering according to the will of God. He said, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you're enduring. That word fiery trial literally means a burning. It's the same process that's employed for the refining of gold and silver. It means the calamities or trials that test the character. Peter is using that word to talk about the trials and the calamities that come to test our character. He is relating it to, uh, to the same process that's used to purify gold. How many of you know the process that's used to purify gold? What happens is when, when a goldsmith wants to uh, refine gold, what he does is he turns the fire up really, really high, as high as he can get it. And, and, and then the, the dross of the gold, the impure things in the gold come to the top of the surface and, and the, the, the goldsmith skims it off and then turns up the fire even more. And he keeps that process going until he can see his reflection in the gold. That's when he knows that the gold is pure, when he can catch his reflection in the gold. That's the picture that Peter is drawing here. He's saying the trials that you are going through, the fiery trials, is a purification process. That the, that the, 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 the refiner, God himself, is using it to refine you and to make you more like him. The process of refining is repeated over and over and over until that goldsmith can see his reflection in that gold. And you see, we are created to manifest his presence here on earth. We are created in his image and his likeness, and he wants us to model that to a dying world around us. And he will refine us until we're like gold. Psalm 66.10 says, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. That word refined is the same word that Peter uses for fiery trial. He's saying the fiery trials are the refining process. Warren Wearsby says when God puts his own people into the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He knows how long and how much. You see, God controls the intensity of the fire, and he alone knows how, just how much heat is necessary to remove the impurities in our life. His goal is that, 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 that he might see his face in us, so to speak, that we would reflect the image of his son. And he just allows that fiery trial to come. I'm telling you, it is the junk in my life that has refined me. It's not the good times. It's not just laboring over the word of God. It is the painful, hard times 
in my life that have made me see the garbage in my life that God wanted to remove. There are times that I've been in the fire and yuck has come out of me and I'd be like, I didn't even know that was in me, Lord. I didn't even know that was there, but it was the refining process, bringing that to the surface so he could skim it off in my life. I want to be more like him. I want to look more like him. It is the goal of my life and I will, I will open the door and welcome I will welcome that fiery trial if it's going to make me more like him. Amen. So he says, don't think it's strange that you're going through this fiery trial. 1 Peter 4, 15. You see, there are fiery trials that we bring on ourselves. Look over to verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody. In, people's uh, in other people's matters. He he's saying, if you're going to suffer, suffer according to God's will. Don't suffer because you're a thief, a murderer, uh, an evil person, or a busybody. I, I want you to notice, gossips, I'm going to say this as tenderly as I can, that, that a gossip, a busybody, is put in the same text, the same verse, as a murderer. Let's look at it. A murderer, a thief, and an evildoer. Don't, don't miss that. And he's saying, those people have fiery trials, but it's because they, they, they brought it on themselves. I, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you who are suffering according to God's will. You're trying to live a life that's pleasing him. You're trying to, 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 to live, uh, to, to, to model him to a lost and dying world, and all of a sudden, this trial comes knocking at your door like an unwanted visitor. Welcome it. Welcome it. Verse 12b, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that is among you, which comes upon you, don't miss this, for your testing. Which comes upon you is an interesting phrase in the Greek. It means to come into existence. Here it's used in the present tense. It pictures trials and sufferings continually coming into existence. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you don't have trials and tribulations. You don't have any pain in your life. Man, you rock on with your bad self. But I feel like mine just keep coming into existence. They're continuous, ongoing. It's a present tense thing for me where I get through one and bam, there's another one. I was saying to Mari tonight, baby girl, you, you worry if you don't have people that dislike you. You worry, honey girl, if, if people are not on your back. You worry if everybody's speaking well of you. That's when you worry because you see when the enemy isn't on your back, you worry because he has no, you are no threat to him whatsoever. But when he's on your back, you open the door and welcome that thing and you count yourself worthy to suffer uh, according to, to God's will. That's what you do. You see, my boys, they played soccer in high school. <laughs> They're really old now. and They don't play soccer anymore. They might hurt something. But, but, they, but they played in high school and they were good. My husband's Brit. He's British. And you play soccer in England, like from this size up. Yeah, so those boys started playing soccer right after they learned to walk. And, and they were good soccer players. And our son Danny went to Waukesha West. North. He went to North. And Mikey went to West. And, and, and the, the other boys played soccer as well. But Mikey and Danny were close enough in age 
that Danny was the captain of the Waukesha North uh, soccer team, he was a goalie, and he was good. But Mikey was the, uh, he was what? Attacking Not, midfield. Attacking midfield. I, I was going to say fullback, but it's not. It was midfield at that time. He, he was a midfielder, but he, he, he scored a lot, a lot, a lot of goals and on the goalie. So Dave and I lived for when Waukesha North would play Waukesha West because they're rivals. You know, I would wear purple shirt and blue pants because I had to wear both colors. I had to represent. And, and it was hard because Danny's in the goal and Mikey's scoring against Danny. And we lived for this game every year. And, and so this particular year, Danny was in the goal and Mikey was in rare form and he was bam, 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 you know, score, score, score. And we're watching the scoreboard and Waukesha North is losing miserably and Danny is getting more and more frustrated and eventually he throws down his goalie gloves and he grabs somebody at one of the fullbacks and he has them come back and he says, you get in this goal, I'm going out there to handle him. <laughs> Did he not? Because even though Danny was a goalie, he had played with Mikey in the backyard. He had watched that boy grow up since he was this big. He knew his weaknesses. He knew his vulnerabilities. And he might have been a hot shot soccer player, but his brother knew exactly where his weaknesses were. And Danny got out of that field. He went to the front line as a goalie, and he took Mikey on, and he immobilized him. Can I tell you? that you have an enemy of your soul who has watched you grow up spiritually. And he knows all of your weaknesses. He knows all of your strengths. And he wants you immobilized. He wants you immobilized. He doesn't want you flowing in the gifting and the calling of God in your life. He wants you absolutely immobilized. He doesn't want you playing for the other team. He wants to just obliterate you. And he has watched you long enough to know where your weaknesses are. And, and when you are playing your best out of nowhere, there's going to be a knock on your door with a fiery trial that's set up for you by the enemy of your soul. Because you see, the enemy comes to tempt us. God might come to test us. Are you following me? You see, this fiery trial that was sent to test you, it means to prove you genuine. God wants to prove you genuine. He knows what he put inside of you. He knows what his Holy Spirit can do in you and through you. He is perfectly aware of how he created you. Before you were ever born, God called you. He put a call on your life that only you can fulfill. And the enemy knows that. And the last thing he wants is you fulfilling the call of God on your life. And so what is he going to do? He's going to send a fiery trial to immobilize you, to keep you from fulfilling and walking out that call. There's a reason behind every trial. The RSV says it comes to prove you, to prove who you really are. He wants to prove you genuine. One pastor says God has enslaved suffering and trial to serve us. He uses, as he did Job, to prove the authenticity of our faith. 
So when you're suffering trial and cling to God in faith through it and refuse to curse God but rather bless God, you're magnifying his glory as he proves out the authenticity of your faith. How many of you know the story of, of Job? The first chapter of Job has always bothered me just a little bit because um, God is in the throne room and, and Satan's there. And I'm like, what's he doing in the throne room? And, and, and God says to him, Satan, where have you been? And, and, and Satan says, I've been roaming the earth. This is Rhea's loose translation, looking for vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And God says, have you considered? Have you, con- have you given thought to my servant Job? You considered him. Might I recommend him to you? And Job says, or Satan says, oh, you know, Job. His life is peachy keen, honky dory. He's got everything. You've blessed him over and over and over. You remove your hand from him, and trust me, he'll curse you. God says, go ahead and test him. In other words, God had confidence in Job. He had confidence in who he made. I want God to be able to say that about me. I want him to say, have you considered Rhea Briscoe? Because I know what's in her. And I know that when push comes to shove, she will not deny me. So you know the rest of the story about Job. But, but it's interesting to me that, that God, that Satan was saying, I, I, I want to I get at him. I, I want, I want him, uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I want to test him because I know that, 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 that he will curse you, God. He'll turn against you if you just allow me to bring trouble to him. But God was confident that that Job would pass the test. You see, Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us, and God tests us to bring out the best, to prove us, to prove us. Nothing just happens in life. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. Nothing happens by accident. If Trials don't just happen. They're part of God's design to be worked out for our good, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. What's interesting to me is that the word used for trial here is a neutral word. It describes a test or a trial, but with no negative connotation. So, in other words, the trial that you're going through will either prove you genuine or it can become an enticement to evil. It all depends on you and your response. The goal of the fiery trial should be renouncing our flesh and relying on the spirit. But sometimes the goal of the trial with the enemy is an enticement to get us to sin against God and, and, and question his faithfulness. How we react is up to us. We see it where, uh, Lynn, do we have those words? It's interesting that this same word can be used for trial, test, and tempt. The same word is used in James 1.2, 1.3, and 1.13 and 14. What it means is what God sends as a, a test, Satan t- sends to, te- to, tr- to tempt. What God sends as a trial... Satan sends to tempt. It's up to us how we respond to it. Will we let it prove us, or will we let it be a solicitation into sin? One commentator says that if God isn't changing the circumstances in your life, he's using the circumstances to change you. James, or 
Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's come upon you. It's coming to test you. Don't think it's something strange happening to you. Why are we surprised when they come? The Bible says that we're, this life, this Christian walk is a war. He says, no man that signs up for a battle questions his commanding officer. And Francis Chan used this illustration. I thought it was great. He says, can you imagine a soldier at war running back to his commanding officer saying, they're shooting things at me and they're real bullets. The commanding officer would say, what did you expect? What did you think would happen when you signed up for, for the army? Did you think you would just come out here and everything would be nice and easy? We're at war. And you need to realize that. Peter's saying, don't be surprised. This is a war. It's a battle. So don't be surprised when the enemy comes with real bullets. When the enemy brings a trial to tempt you, let it prove you instead. Have you considered my servant Job? Because I believe he'll prove it. He'll prove he's my servant. He'll prove that he loves me. It's interesting. There's a scripture that says, blessed is the man, James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Somebody say steadfast. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Uh, I, I love that. Blessed is the man who, has who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, when he has, has, has held up under that trial, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Notice it doesn't say, for when he has stood the when he has, was, has remained faithful and steadfast under trial, he'll receive the crown of life because he remains steadfast. No, he said, the crown of life is for those who love him. In other words, he's equating, James is equating, love for God with standing up under trial. That should be a wow moment for somebody. That how well I, I withstand trial, how, how well whether I'm steadfast under trial or not is equated with how much I love God. That shames me tonight. I'm just going to tell you. It goes back to what, what, what we were saying about Job. Satan was basically saying to God, he only loves you because his life is going well, but you remove that hedge from him and, 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 and let me test him and I'll show you what's in him. You see, sometimes we show our love for God uh, until we don't get what we want, until life isn't happening the way we want it to happen. And then we stop showing our love for God because he didn't give us what we wanted. See, true love shows itself even in the face of not getting what we want. Paul says we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships and tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Do you know what's so fascinating to me? I read that today. When I put it in my notes, I thought I better go back and just look at the context with which he says that. Because he's saying to, to the disciples, we have to go through many hardships and many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. 
Why did he say that? Do you know what had just happened to Paul? He was out of town and he was, he was ministering the gospel. He was giving people the gospel and they stoned him and they drug him outside the city gates and the Bible says they left him for dead. The very people he was just ministering to stoned him and left him for dead and drug him outside the city gates. And the Bible says that the disciples came around him in a circle, which that's a whole nother preach right there. But they came around him in a circle and he got up from a place of death and got up and went right back into the city that had just stoned him and continued to minister the gospel. It was after he left that city that he went back and he was sitting talking to, to his disciples and, he, and he, the Bible says that he was encouraging them to remain true to the faith and in that moment said, we have to go through lots of tribulations and difficulties in order to enter the kingdom of God. This is after he was stoned almost to death. How many of you would do that? How many of you would be like, I'm not serving you anymore because you don't take care of me. You don't protect me. Look at what you led in my life. And, and I and look, I was just trying to be a good person. I was, that's what we do, do we not? Dave, I don't even know if God loves me anymore because look at how hard my life is. Leslie's her life isn't hard. Why isn't her life hard? <laughs> Ours is hard, and we're just serving the Lord. Why do you think it's strange? Why are you shocked? Be more shocked if Leslie's life isn't hard. Be thankful yours is because you're a threat to the enemy. Do, do you see it? Don't think it's strange. Look at verse 19. So then those who suffer according to the will of God should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Some of your translations might say, entrust yourself to your faithful creator. I, I like that because the Bible says that when Jesus was crucified, when he was mocked, when he was ridiculed, when he was beaten, he did not retaliate. See, I, I'm, a, I'm a retaliator. I just want to tell you, you hurt me. The temptation to hurt you back is strong in me, and I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> but, but, but the Bible says that God did not, or that Jesus did not retaliate, but that he entrusted himself to the one who judges all men justly. I want to get you back, but I'm not going to. I'm going to instead entrust myself to the one who judges all men justly. That's what Peter's saying. Let those who suffer according to God's will, who, who not fair, this wasn't fair, this hurts like the dickens. Instead, let's just entrust ourselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. That word entrust is a banking term. It means to deposit for safekeeping. It, it was uh, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he, he commended his, his spirit, was it? Or his soul to, the, to, to God. It, it was he entrusted it for safekeeping. And uh, let, me, let me just point out one, one thing I want to finish here. But verse 19 says, what do you entrust to the Lord for safekeeping? Your what? Your soul. What did we say a soul was? your mind, your will, your emotions. When you're going through trials and tribulations and hard times, what's the thing that gets messed with the most? Your mind, your emotions. I mean, the enemy, you're just a loser. You aren't gifted. You're not, nobody likes you. And it, the whispers start. Let those who suffer according to the will of God 
and trust their souls, their mind, their will, their emotions to their creator for self-safekeeping. I'm trusting you with this, Lord. I'm giving this to you. I'm not going to carry this. I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to get about the business that you're about, and I'm going to stop letting this distract me. I'm not going to allow Satan to entice me or lead me away. I'm going to prove myself genuine to you, and I'm going to show you that I am faithful even when everything around me, all hell is breaking loose. Again, it's in the present imperative. It's a command to deposit your soul in the hands of God for self-keeping. It's an ongoing lifestyle. I, I, I took the bait. I started to worry about something. I started to, to get lured away by this fiery trial that I'm in, and I'm going to go back and commit myself to the Lord. I'm going to keep doing it until this thing loses power in my life. I'm, I'm probably going to date myself with this, but how many of you remember the, um, the emergency broadcast system? In, you, those of you who are young, you won't know this, but I'd be watching Brady Bunch, and all of a sudden, across the screen would become, beep. This is a test. This is only a test of the emergency broadcasting system. In the event of an actual emergency, you, you know that one. Do you remember that? The screen would go blank. You'd hear this obnoxious tone. And I, I prayed today that this message would get so deep in you that you would hear Peter say when a trial or tribulation comes, why are you surprised? This trial was sent to test you, to prove you genuine. Don't take the bait of the enemy and be lured away by it. Don't be enticed to question God and his goodness and his faithfulness. Instead, entrust yourself to him for safekeeping. Trust that he is working in ways you can't see. Let it prove you genuine. This is a test. This is only a test. I, I pray that this week if a test or a trial or something comes in your life that makes you feel like you're suffering, that you can hear the beep. This is a test. This is only a test. Pass the test. Pass the test. Welcome it. Throw your door, the door of your life open, and welcome it like the Vogels. We are so glad you're here. Can't wait to see what God does with this one. I am not taking the bait. I am not slamming the door to this. I am slamming the door to disobedience. I'm slamming the door to questioning God's faithfulness. I'm slamming the door to, to judging God from this. And I'm just going to say, Lord, what do you want to do? Work it in and through me because I want you to see your reflection in me. Turn up the fire till you see it, Lord. Turn up the fire till you see it. You say, well, Rhea, you do not know what my life is like. I read this this week, and I want to share it with you. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than six million who won't survive the week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pains of starvation, you are ahead of 500 million people around the world. If you attend a church meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothing on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, 
you are richer than 75% of this world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and spare change in a dish somewhere, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. We are blessed, and we must get a fresh perspective on suffering, a, a biblical uh, perspective, if you will, that trials, tribulation, and suffering are here to test our faith and to prove us genuine. More than anything in this world, I want God to prove me genuine. I, I've had it up to here with fake. I've had it up to here with religious mass. I have a gift of discernment. Anybody in this room feel like they have a gift of discernment? The gift of discernment is powerful. You can, you can just talk with somebody who maybe looks super spiritual, who says all the right things, who can quote scripture, and you can see right through them into what's in their heart. And, and I had that gift, and I, it's not a, I, I got to just tell you, it's not a fun gift to have because Dave and I can be someplace and, and I can sense evil I, just like that. I can sense it. Um, and somebody can be talking to me, and I can, I can just sense it. I can't, I can't explain it. it. It's a gift of discern, discerning of spirits, and I, I, I have that gift. And so it's hard to fool me that you're super religious if I... I just can sense it. And I don't like frauds. Uh, ain't nobody got time for that because God knows what's in a man. So you can fool me, you can fool the world, but you're not fooling God. We, we need to get this right. We need to get right with the Lord. We need to stop playing religious games. I, I really don't care how many scriptures you can quote. I, I don't care how many hallelujahs, praise the Lord, bless you, sister, you can say. What I care about, is it real? Does it go deep within you? If you were going to be made a, a, a human candle by Nero, would you withstand that test and say, coat me up with pitch, let's go, come on. Because here's the worst you can do to me, Nero. You can take my life here. You can put me in the fire here. But, but there's a fire for eternity that, that, that I will avoid. And so you go ahead and light me on fire. Do, do you understand what's at risk here? I want him to prove me genuine. I want him to take off the dross in my life. Leslie and I were praying today, and I said, I'm so sick of the ugly in me. I, I want it gone. I, I want him to get rid of it. I, I don't want ugly left in me. I, I don't want to have to put on a front. I, I don't want to have to push that garbage down. I don't want to look at somebody and make a judgment about them. I don't want to be critical. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be nasty and unkind. I want him to skim off the dross, and if that means fire, then open up my welcome door and welcome it in because... I want to look more like him. I want to act more like him. I, I don't know about you, but I want him to prove me genuine. And he says it's the testing of my faith that's going to do that. So don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Some of you, some of you have been through a year of fiery trials. More pain than I can ever imagine. I watched Leah go through one of the worst trials of her life this year. And it did nothing but prove her genuine. 
I was amazed watching it. I was like, I would have failed that test. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's come upon you. Like, it was something strange. Like, you aren't in a war and real bullets aren't being used. But here's the answer. Just commit yourself to your loving creator because he has you. And he will bring you through it triumphantly. Triumphantly. I'm going to ask Joe or the worship team to come and just close this out. And as they do, I'm aware that some of you are in a fire. I'm aware of it. And that maybe you're not passing the test. And maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're resentful. Maybe you've just about had it and you don't feel like you can do it anymore. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to just stand to your feet because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your perseverance. I'm going to I'm going to pray um, that God just strengthens you in your inmost being and that you come through it um, looking like gold. But, but I'm aware that in a room this size that there are people who are suffering right now and who are in pain. And I want to lock fields with you and pray for your strengthening in the midst of so if that's you tonight and you're in the midst of a fire, would you just stand now and just let me pray for you? Don't be bashful. Don't be bashful. As, as Joe and the team sing, I just want to pray. So Father, I thank you and I praise you that you say that those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Lord, they're standing tonight as an act of their will, saying, I'm in the midst of the fire, and I don't like it, Lord. But I want to come forth as gold. They're putting their hope in you, Lord, and I'm asking right now that you just increase their strength, that you surround them with songs of deliverance. Lord, that you prove to them that you are with them and not against them, that you are for them. Lord, I pray for their spiritual welfare. That you would use this trial, this fiery trial that they're in to strengthen them, to uphold them with your mighty right hand, to bring them through triumphantly. I pray that you would make even their enemies live at peace with them, Lord God. The Bible says that, that, that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he will make even their enemies live at peace with them. Father, I pray for their enemies. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd give them courage to bless their enemies, to not curse them, to pray for them, Lord God. I pray that you'd perfect everything that concerns them, Lord, their fears, their worries, their anxieties. I'm asking right now for a lifting of burdens to come off of them in Jesus' name. Lord, as they commit themselves to you, I pray that they would feel the weight lift, Father God. That they would feel the weight lift. They're entrusting themselves to the one who judges all men justly. Prove to them, Lord, that you're with them. I'm asking, Father, that you renew their minds, that you renew their souls, Lord God, that you'd help them, Father, to, to walk through this, Lord, with their not being controlled and ruled and mastered by their emotions, Lord, but mastered by your word. 
I pray, Lord, for extra grace to forgive, Father God. To forgive, Lord. I pray for the comfort of your sweet Holy Spirit to comfort their souls, Lord God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, I pray that as they're walking through this difficult time, that they would know the comfort of your Holy Spirit like they never have before. I come against every tormenting, harassing spirit, Lord, that would continue to bring this to mind as an enticement to sin against you, against another person. Lord, that, that there would be such a shield of protection around them, around their minds, around their souls, Lord God. And that they would be kept in perfect peace, Father. I pray for sound sleep for rest, Lord God, knowing that you are at work in ways they can't even dream or imagine. Lord, I pray specifically, and I hear you saying this, for those who say, I can't take another thing. I can't go through one more thing. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you know exactly how hot that fire needs to get and when to turn it down. And Father, I pray that you would just give them such a sense of your presence, that you will not give them more than they can, than they can handle. Lord, that as they lean on and trust in and rely on you, that you will bring them through this thing triumphantly. Cradle them, comfort them, Lord God, and carry them through. You promised that we are more than overcomers in Christ Jesus. I pray for your overcoming power in their life. Encourage them today. Strengthen them today, I pray. And bring yourself much glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah.